Grace and peace be with you from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I remember I was about, uh, about 16 years old, right around that age, 15 or 16. You know, where your friends get their license, or you get your license, and you're finally able, a little bit of freedom to go and drive. And I remember those years, because I remember that was also when my high school team pride was probably at its top, at its max, where it was the most. So bad was it that I was for the Union Wildcats, see Union, Missouri, so Union Wildcats, that I had personified all the teams in my mind with their towns. And so all those other towns had horrible qualities. Union was great. We all loved Union. But Washington, Missouri, the Blue Jays? Nobody wanted to go there. You know everybody in Washington, Missouri is snobby. (laughs) 33,000 people and every last one of them was apparently snobby. That was 16-year-old me. In St. Clair, Missouri, the Bulldogs, oh, you definitely don't want to go there. You can't trust a word they say. Oh, St. Clair Bulldogs, no. You don't even want to talk to somebody who happens to be from St. Clair. About 20,000 people, maybe less, maybe only 15,000 people, and every single one of them were untrustworthy. Yes, high school me had it all figured out. Team pride at its max. Now, of course, as I, you know, got a little older, I began to realize that out of the 33,000 people that were in Washington, Missouri, as it turned out, most of them were pretty good folks. Now, was there a a person that maybe had that idea of snobby? Sure, I'm sure, out of 33,000 people, I'm sure somebody had that, but most of the people I ran into and talked to were pretty good folk. And, you know, uh, one of my friends runs the church in St. Clair, and There's a lot of really good people in St. Clair, Missouri. A lot of good church-going folk that come every single week, Sunday after Sunday, going to church, praising their Lord and repenting of their sins. All in all, St. Clair is not such a bad town after all. It's a pretty good place. But it's kind of funny when you think about it because, you know, we don't really talk about this idea of enemies much You know, whenever you're in high school and you have team rivalries, well, then you can talk about enemies and you can talk with very clear and precise language, or at least what you perceive as clear and precise language. But when you get a little older and you begin to realize the faults and some of those understandings, you realize that you might not have what we would purely consider enemies. I doubt anybody here goes to Walmart and says, I ran into my arch nemesis today. I mean, yes, if you're reading comic books a lot and watching comic book movies, maybe if you're, you're watching Batman, you get the idea of a villain, of an enemy, of an arch nemesis. But in our day-to-day language, we just don't talk about it much. But yet, we do have enemies. We do have people in the world that want to see Christianity fall and fail There are some countries where it is illegal to be Christian, where it is penalty by death. We can all recall several years ago, whenever they were putting the N on the side of the building, warning the Christians to get out or be killed. Some countries do it a little bit more subtly. I know in certain parts of China, they just don't want Christians there. And so they find little loopholes so that they can tear down your church. They want you gone. They don't want you there. And even here in the United States, I know we don't talk about it a lot. We are 
We are the home of the free because of the brave, but yet there tends to be subtlety every now and again. Even here, where people demean our values, demean our morals, demean what we believe. A person who is a youth of today's world going into various schools and under various instructors is going to have to face some of this. And we should pray for them. We should pray for them during their difficulty. Pray for them as they are attacked in such subtle ways. Oh, it's not in your face. At least not most of the time. It's subtle. But it's there. There's people that want to get rid of Christianity. And as we think about our enemies, those ones that we see, and maybe even those ones that we don't see, we're going to have a temptation You see, the temptation is that as we bring these things to the Lord in prayer, and as we go to our Lord in prayer, we're going to be tempted to think, well, if they hate us, we're going to hate them back. You know, fight fire with fire. If they attack us, we should attack them. But yet, as we bring it to Holy Scripture, we see something else emerge. And it's not necessarily what we want to hear. It's not necessarily what we want to see. In some ways, it is the unthinkable. It's the unthinkable that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ says, hey, when you are facing persecution, when people hate you, when people ridicule you, when people abuse you, love them. We find a certain exactness Earlier. Now, it's not in this passage, it's actually from last week, as Jesus was saying, bless the poor, bless the mourning, bless those who persecute you on my account. See, there's a kind of an exactness. As, as Jesus continues on, he kind of he puts more into this idea of those who are persecuting you and those who are hating you, but truth be told is, this is a, something that applies to all of our enemies, that we are called as Christians to love them. To bless them. To forgive them. That's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to think about, to dwell about. And even as we begin down that road, as we finally say to ourselves, you know, Lord, I'm going to do it. I'm going to forgive my enemies. I'm going to bless my enemies. I'm going to move past this. You'll run into your second problem. And that is that the persecution, the hate, the suffering can run deep. And it doesn't just happen instantly. We might wish that it was after one prayer that our hearts were changed and everything was different. But all too often it takes days. It takes weeks. It takes even longer. Forgiveness is hard work. But we have a good Lord. A Lord that changes our heart. A Lord that works inside of us that creates a new self, new creation through the power of the Holy Spirit in our baptisms. And so we are called to forgive. But we're not called to forgive by someone who doesn't understand forgiveness. We're not called to forgive by someone who never had to forgive. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, go and forgive all of your enemies. Forgive those people that hate you. And then he himself never does. No, when Jesus goes into Jerusalem, the amount of suffering and pain that he takes on is not some mild irritation. But it is absolute persecution. It is absolute hatred of the worst nature that Jesus suffers. 
and that he dies. And yet he forgives. He forgives even those that are in the midst of putting him through that suffering. He forgives. And even as he goes to the cross, he does that for those that are doing it to him. He does that for you. He does that to forgive us of our sins, of all of those times when we made mistakes, all of those times, whether it was subtle or in his face, that we sinned against God, that we sinned against our Heavenly Father, we, just, we sinned against the very way in which we were created. Our Lord goes to the cross for that sake, that filled with forgiveness, filled with mercy, we can share we can give that same grace, that same mercy to those that sin against us, even at times in the worst of ways, that we can grant forgiveness. It's hard. It's challenging. But as Christians, it's what we are called to do in Christ's name. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. At this time, please stand as we now confess our common faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed.